Looking back at life 100 years ago in Kilkenny, this is the History Show on KCLR. With thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media. And a very good evening to you. You're welcome along to the History Show here on KCLR. I'm John Moynihan and I'm with you until 7 o'clock as we continue to look back on events in Kilkenny 100 years ago. I've got a jam-packed show for you this evening as we unearth some untold and lesser-known stories from 1922. Coming up on the show, we'll be hearing from historian and author Orla Murphy, whose brochure and article on the internment of Kilkenny men in Ballykindler was published in just the last couple of months. We'll be speaking to Executive Librarian with Kilkenny County Council, Declan McCauley, about the work of Kilkenny Libraries during this decade of centenaries. Damien Brett on his family's involvement in the Great War and its aftermath. As we continue our weekly look through the local papers, this evening we'll be revisiting the Kilkenny people from 19, February 1922. And in the next part of our Kilkenny in 1922 timeline series with historian Owen Swithin Walsh, today we'll be hearing about the famous Battle of Kilkenny. So all that and plenty more to come on this evening's show. I do hope you can stay with me. If you want to get in touch with the programme, you can text me on the KCLR text and WhatsApp line. That's 083 306 9696. And that, of course, is in association with dinnersready.ie. Or you can email the programme at historyshow at kclr96fm.com. But first, we're going to hear from Kilkenny-based author and historian Orla Murphy. Orla has conducted extensive research on perhaps a lesser-known element of Kilkenny's history during the lead-up to the Irish Civil War, and that is the internment of Kilkenny men in Ballykindler in County Down from 1920 to 1921. In the past number of months, Orla has had a brochure published outlining this significant part of our heritage, and she has also written an article of considerable length and detail for the 2021 edition of the Kilkenny Review. I spoke to Orla recently, and I began by asking her why she decided to conduct research in this area. Really, the brochure and the article um, were inspired by my desire to find out more about Kilkenny men who were interned in Ballykinner, which was the first internment camp which was opened in late 1920 by the British. And it was open for the longest time. Now, people are aware of Spike Island, um, but Spike Island was only opened in February 1921. But um, the Kilkenny men who were interned in Ballykinner, I knew some of them, and my grandfather was one of them, Tom Tracy, and uh, I recognised names of others, about seven, and there were 14 names, and I knew one name was missing, Tom Nolan from Outrath. So I wanted to find out who were the lesser-known people who ended up there along with him, and that set me off on a quest of trying to find out information wherever I could and from what ever sources because there's not a lot written about it in the literature locally um, at the time like uh, people said oh I was uh, arrested and and interned and then end of but Tom Tracy did write a lot about his experiences there in his witness statements in the Bureau of Military History so I had a good springboard and then I started delving more and also I knew there was uh, Tom Nolan's autograph book in um the Archaeological Society and autograph books were very popular amongst the prisoners. So that was great because it gave me the names of some other people like MJ Tierney from Kiltorkin and London it said. So that was another name to look into, knew nothing about him so I did find out quite a bit about him and um, then I started um, looking at work that Jim Lawler had painted of the interior of the hut where the men were. They were all in these Armstrong huts, 25 men to a hut. And there were two camps in Ballykindler. 
So they were spread over the two camps for their duration. And Tom and Jim and uh, Tom Nolan, they would have been there for a full year from December 1920 to after the treaty was signed in 1921. Now, some of the other prisoners weren't uh, interned for as long um, and some were released a little bit earlier too for various reasons. But it was a fascinating subject and the newspaper archive was a great help also in untangling who might be who. Um, and I found amongst the lesser known people, there were men from Glenmore and there were men from Castlecomer. And I'd love to find out more about those particular people uh, because I spoke about this um, last year a little bit before the brochure came out and the article that I subsequently wrote for the Old Kilkenny Review. So if anyone is interested in um, either of those, the, the brochure is available on the library website and I think there are a few hard copies available still in some of the branch libraries around the county. They were all supplied with it. And it's very visual as well as has a chart with a condensed amount of information about the men. And if you want to know more about each individual mentioned there, the article in the Old Kilkenny Review has a paragraph devoted to um, them with any information I've dug up on them. So uh, we'll see what that comes up with. Hopefully people in those areas might be able to add to it because I found with COVID you were hampered, you couldn't um, go and <laughs> seek out people to try and talk to them. I did, I was lucky to talk to Danny Dowling, um, RIP, in Glenmore and he was a great help to clarify some of the issues about who was who um, in, on the Glenmore end of things. It just sounds like such a huge undertaking of work. As you said, Orla, it was, I mean, I think the information available to you when you began this research was, it seems, few and far between. Um, how did you keep going? I mean, it must have really taken a lot of your own personal uh, strength to keep going on what must have been, at times, a fruitless journey. Well, it, it was fascinating, really. It was a bit like being a detective because I knew a lot about my grandfather's experiences from his witness statement. But he wasn't mentioning the unknowns, we'll say. And uh, what was a great help was the newspaper archive and double checking on that and then the military archives and the witness statements. So I had an inkling about some names and then others I hadn't a clue who they were at all. Um, then I, that ran into the sand because when martial law was declared in Kilkenny, um, reporting on who was interned was stopped. Of course. Um, so that, you know, meant there wasn't much information from about February on in 1921. They weren't reporting in the Kilkenny people. But if you look at the brochure um, on one of the pages, I have a snippet from the people from the time of the first arrests, which happened actually the week of Bloody Sunday. The 23rd of November were, was the first round of arrests. Tom Tracy and Jim Lawler, Tom Nolan and Mick Lockman or Lukeman, uh, they were all arrested on the 23rd of November 1920. And I said, Mr T Tracy, TC, he was a town councillor because he had been elected in the local elections in January 1920 the arrested. Subsequently the military visited the drapery establishment of Mr Thomas Tracy TC Parliament Street and placed him under arrest. He was conveyed to the military barracks. The charge against him is not stated. And then other arrests late on Wednesday night military and police visited the residences of Messrs Thomas Nolan um, County Councillor Joiners Folly, James Lawler, Friary Street and Mick Lukeman, New Street, who were all placed under arrest and conveyed to the military barracks. So that was the beginning. But that dried up then, as I say, later on and you weren't getting that information. But the paper did prove very fruitful on one um, name, Richard Dunphy. 
I found a little snippet in the, the People which listed off the last few um, reports of internees and one of those said R. Dunphy, Castlecomer. So that skewed everything to look at Castlecomer. Ah. And I did find Richard Dunphy, A. Richard Dunphy from Crut in Castlecomer. And there were lots of Dunphys involved in the War of Independence in the 3rd Battalion out in Castlecomer. So... Then to complicate it, the issue, he wasn't turning up um, in other sources, but Kilmainham Jail Museum have roll books in their Ballykindler collection. And that clarified a lot of the research I'd found out about the Glenmore men. And there was a Richard Dunphy, but it was saying he was Dublin. But I've subsequently found that he was living in Dublin at the time. and. I'd say it was because of his Dunphy connections in Castlecomer that he was arrested and he probably had a role in events in Dublin too. But uh, it was fascinating to get confirmation by looking at other sources in the military archives and I was looking at the addresses and then I was looking at the date of birth and bingo, it was the same date of birth for the man. So, uh, you know, it was great to to find that. And um, as I say, the Ballykindler collection in Kilmainham Jail is you know, really interesting. It had roll books only for Camp 2 and it listed off the various activities that the prisoners were involved in. It, what strikes me, I suppose, Orla, is the fact that um, this is a time that's not widely known about, isn't it? Uh, mm. uh, nationally, I mean. Yeah. Um, do you think it's important that historians such as yourself uh, puts the time and the effort into researching you know, areas of history such as this? I do because, it, as I say, it, it wasn't widely known. I suppose as a child or a teenager growing up, we were aware of Ballykindler because there was a box in my grandparents' house called the Ballykindler box and there was nothing in it and nobody was really that interested in it. And it was only subsequently I started to think about it. And then when I discovered, you know, what it was like uh, in Ballykindler and what really was a great help and a springboard to my research was Liam O'Dwyer's book which came out in 2013 and he wrote about Ballykindler and it was the first book that I read giving a lot of information about Ballykindler in the round because the prisoners there there were about 1800 prisoners uh, interned in Ballykindler in the two camps and he gives an account of all the different events and uh, you know how they uh, lived and uh, the fact that three prisoners were shot dead by sentries and so it, wa- it wasn't a, an easy place to be and um, that whetted my interest and it was his lists at the back that prompted me to start to delve but I, it made me start to think about my grandparents my grandmother in particular her experiences as a, a woman whose husband was interned for a year and with young children and so forth and actually Tom Tracy and Jim Rohn from Callan um, they were the only two married men amongst the Kilkenny prisoners and they, they had young children and I think we're focusing more and thinking more about the role of women during the War of Independence and uh, after the effect on families and it was uh, a fact that my own mother didn't even know that she had an older brother who had died as a baby because it had such a traumatic effect on my grandmother. And uh, it made me think, <laughs> you know, about the that I wanted to include the women and the, the wives. And that was why I wanted to have a photograph of both the women, uh, Mary Rowan and Elizabeth Tracy, in the brochure 
to show um, something of the fact that these were family men and they were whisked off, arrested and the families were left high and dry and having to try and uh, feed and clothe the family, keep a farm going or keep a shop going in the case of my grandmother. Um, and the photograph of the Tracy family, I think, is kind of interesting because it shows the little boy on the right um, was my uncle, Sean, and he's looking so kind of bewildered, you know, what, what's happening here, you know, because getting your photograph taken wasn't a, a thing that would have been, been a, a usual. A, yes, a common occurrence a common at that occurrence time. At, yeah. at, in those days. But um, so that that's... Um, important to me, you know, to remember these people because people d didn't speak about it after, you know, we never heard a word about it. It's just one of those things, but it would be lovely to find someone who d could add to the store of knowledge, you know. Well, so. we'll certainly try and find them. Yeah. Uh, we will indeed. Well, yeah. uh, but for now, Orla Murphy, uh, the author of Kilkenny Men Interned in Ballykindler 1920-1921. Thanks very much for joining us on the History Show this evening. Thank you, John. And indeed, a big thank you to Orla Murphy for that insight into that lesser known piece of Kilkenny history. Now it's time for our weekly look back through the local lens as we gloss over the Kilkenny newspapers from 100 years ago. Today, we're looking back at February 1922. The Kilkenny People, February 11th, 1922. The pressing issue in this edition of The People is that of Castlecomer's District Hospital and whether it can be retained. According to the paper, the Castlecomer Board of Guardians, the body tasked with the management of the facility, strongly disagreed with having to pay rates not only for their own district hospital, but also the rates of the county hospital. The chairman of the Board of Guardians stated, I would object to paying both charges. In any case, this county scheme is only an experiment and it was rushed on the county without anybody being requainted about it. If we retain the hospital here, I don't think we are so well off that we can afford to pay for the county hospital. The chairman also expressed the opinion that if a cottage hospital scheme had been formulated instead of the hospital amalgamation scheme, it would have been more successful. Meanwhile, the paper also featured a pictorial record of the Irish Republican Army taking control of Kilkenny military barracks. This was significant, as few photographs were printed in the newspaper at the time. The paper described the event as the most memorable since Owen Roe O'Neill and his army marched through the city and that it should be treasured by every Kilkenny man and woman all the world over. Elsewhere, sport took up much of the paper's coverage. There's much buzz about the meeting of Glenmore and Clonin in the senior football final for 1921, played here in February 1922, because the first contest between the two teams, the previous October, ended in much controversy. Clonin had successfully appealed to Kilkenny County Board following the first game because of, I quote, the outcome of the indecision of one of the officials of the game. Feeling that they had been unjustly deprived of the championship, they built up an objection, which they won, resulting in the replaying of the game some four months later. Before all that, however, the postponed junior hurling final between Tullow Three Castles and Moondarug is finally going to take place, following multiple cancellations due to inclement weather. And finally, if you're thirsty, then an advertisement in the paper suggests that you should quench your thirst with some Ossery Ales. Brewed by Robert Perry and Son in Rathdowney, this celebrated Castletown Natural Springs is pure ale and is Irish manufactured by appointment to His Majesty the King. Now, it's time for part two of our Kilkenny in 1922 timeline with 
historian Owen Swithin Walsh. Towards the end of last week's timeline, we heard of how Kilkenny became the subject of both national and international attention on the 2nd and 3rd of May 1922, as a two-day siege of some key buildings in the city got underway. As our timeline recommences, Owen explains to us a little bit more about the fabled Battle of Kilkenny. So there was this tension going between the two different groups. You had the anti-treaty IRA and the pro-treaty IRA, could call them, soon to be called the Free State or the Provisional Government Forces, whatever you want to call them. And what would happen is they started kind of shaping up to each other by taking over different buildings around Kilkenny. So the anti-treaty IRA took over the old RAC barracks and the Kilkenny Jail, um, which used to be house on Rock Street and they took over the yeah, the police barracks and then uh, on uh, on oh yeah Parliament Street and also the John Street police police barracks and then the the Free State weren't happy with this but they didn't intervene because it would kind of cause trouble the leader of the Free State in Kilkenny he had just came in then arrived was General Prout uh, he was a Tipperary man who would fought in the First World War, had come back to fight in the War of Independence, but then took this uh, officer position in Kilkenny. Uh, he was a bit, maybe say, heavy-handed in some ways, where he he kind of evicted the anti-treaty IRA, shall we say, out of the jail. Now, he did this because they had taken whiskey, long story here, but they had taken whiskey as part of the Belfast Boycott Agreement. He didn't like this. He kind of boosted them out. The anti-treaty felt they had just as much right to be anywhere they wanted in Kilkenny because they felt that their army was the legitimate army of the Irish Republic and these free state guys, no, didn't, uh, didn't agree with it. So anyway, things escalated then. That was on a Saturday and then on a the Tuesday to hit back they um, took over key buildings around Kilkenny, major buildings for everything from uh, Wilston's Grocery, which is kind of Egan's, I think now, just opposite Macdonald Junction there. They uh, they took over buildings right on both sides of Green's Bridge because it was obviously a thoroughfare. They took over um, the Imperial Hotel, uh, which was just there on Rose Inn Street. And of course, dramatic they took over St. Canis' Cathedral and uh, the Round Tower mainly. And they also took over dramatically Kilkenny Castle, the home of Lord Ossery. So they were taking over all these buildings in the late, early in the hours of Tuesday, 2nd of May, and it was, nobody knew what was going to happen. So Prowse wakes up to this and he goes, uh, goes uh, kind of full guns blazing to get the mouse. And straight away, uh, early early in the morning, well, kind of, we think about 11 o'clock, he attacks uh, the positions on Greensbridge because what he's going to do is clean out the, the kind of Greensbridge side, the St. Canis Cathedral side, and then work his way down Parliament Street and around to the jail because they had Free State soldiers uh, based in the jail and Free State soldiers based on the left bank. Uh, what we can now call the left bank pub for a good night's nice house uh, but it was the Bank of Ireland then so he was trying to kind of do a cordon so he was clearing all that side off first which he got which he got done pretty quickly because the anti-treaty guys didn't have a huge amount of men power so there's a few guys sniping but when you've got machine guns in you and people sniping you uh, concentrated at an area especially at a tower you don't last too long so all of them surrendered got arrested they then worked their way up to Wilsdon's and pushed up John Street and Wilsdon's 
Wilson's got a good hammering um, there between machine guns coming from McDonough Junction train station. Um, the train station was there, of course, as well as it is today. Uh, they pounded that, got them out of there after even a heavier battle, then pushed down John Street. The RIC police station on John Street, it was right attached to Langton's, but closer to the bridge. So what's now Langton's tea rooms and that's, that was the RIC police station. Came down in an armoured car, machine gun that. Another battle, 15 or so people taken out there. Then they went down and got over John's Bridge and they pushed up there all this on the very first day. So it was quite an impressive feat in that way because what you have here is urban warfare. That is literally, uh, you know, when someone barricades himself in the building, it's actually quite hard to get them out. And a lot of the times, the anti-treaty side, they just ran out of bullets and ammunition so they could fight away for a while, but then it ran out so they couldn't do anything else. They then got up to the Imperial Hotel uh, which, was, which was directly across the road from the left bank on the Rose Inn Street corner there. They charged across and even, you know, General Prout was a hands-on guy. He charged across himself um, along with others and attacked uh, the building by smashing through the door, getting in and arresting the people inside in the Imperial. And it must have been uh, kind of a scary time because there was, you know, bullets flying everywhere. Um, you know, they put all the, the mattresses of the hotel up against the windows because the ricocheted bullets, when they come in, the mattresses kind of stop them. So there was all this going on. Then it gets into the next day and all eyes are on to Kenny Castle. Wake up in the morning and all guns from the jail, from the left bank, which is the Bank of Ireland, and then from the John's Bridge side are all trained at the Kenny Castle and a an gun battle go rages all day uh, before eventually the free state later in the evening burst through the big wooden doors of Kilkenny Castle in the armoured car and take control of the castle within uh, 15 minutes or so considering all the bullets that were expended at that time it's unbelievable that actually no one died in that of course there's a lot of injuries there was uh, at least 20 uh, free state guys some of them would be shot a few times um, people got shrapnel injuries and other wounds but uh, no one was actually killed which was a bit of a miracle to say the very very least they, they then they kind of organised the truce and this was organised in Dublin because it looked like civil war had broken out in Kilkenny so people were a bit nervous so within three days the hundreds are plus anti-treaty prisoners including a few women were all released as a kind of a peace offering so civil war had been contained really in Kilkenny but it was a bit of you know, a scary time and it's something that Kilkenny maybe wouldn't have liked in the history books to, um, you know, be the place where the Irish Civil War started. So anyway, we got to contain this again and Everton was kind of kept um, uh, somewhat uh, balanced and even though it was all still uh, very shaky, but until the packed election, the packed election was a big election in the middle of June 1916, the 16th of June. Why do we care about that election or that general election? It's because it was used as a quasi-referendum on the treaty. So the public didn't vote for the treaty, even though people kind of knew that the general public who weren't involved in the fighting were very much pro-treaty, mainly because they didn't want any more fighting, either between Irish people fighting Irish people or between the British. But anyway, this was seen as a quasi-referendum. It was a general election. And in it, in the Kilkenny Carlow constituency, there were six running for four seats, including the four people who were already there. And I suppose the shock result of that packed election, and I should say it was called a packed election because Eamon de Valera and Mike 
and Michael Collins had come up with a pact agreement, which was trying to uh, come up with an agreement that would be kind of a power sharing government after this um, after this election between the pro and anti-treaty side. So they really tried to keep some kind or some semblance of friendship, if you want to call it that, or you know to, to balance things out uh, right up until the election until it all went askew uh, on election day. But what's the biggest shock of the election was in Kilkenny, the Labour Party stormed us. A guy called Patrick Gaffney ran for the Labour Party. He was coming a Republican Labour guy, and he won 35% of the first preference votes, which was huge. In third place with 22% of the votes, uh, was Dennis J. Gorey of the Farmers Party. And he was from Cuffs Grange, but he was also um, uh, the leader of the National Farmers Party at the time. So you're talking over 50% of the vote there uh, was for people that were not the pro-treaty or anti-treaty Sinn Féin. So what that kind of gives you is that people were sick to death of us. So you, obviously people went in and said, well, I'm not giving either the two, two of them guys a vote. So you had the anti-treaty Sinn Féin, pro-treaty Sinn Féin, and instead half the population or more voted for the Farmers Party or Labour. So it was, uh, I know in fairness, the, the other two seats went to um, the pro-Treaty Sinn Féin guys. So Cosgrave and O'Sullivan, the two people to lose out uh, were coming fifth and sixth place were Ned Elward and uh, Lenin. And they probably could, if they had better kind of vote management, they probably would have taken uh, one of the seats because uh, Garrod O'Sullivan actually was last. But um, anyway, the transfers didn't work. Uh, but it definitely showed that Kilkenny or the people were either a one, sick and tired of the splits and the fighting between the two sides and sick of, uh, of the fighting, um, you know, militarily wise, that could happen, but also that they were willing to give a vote for alternative voices. And a big thank you again to Owen Swithin Walsh for his detailed retrospective look at the Kilkenny 1922 timeline. We'll have the third and final retrospective with Owen on the programme very soon. The History Show on KCLR with John Moynihan. And you're very welcome back to The History Show. Now, let's take a look at the continuing important role played by Kilkenny Libraries as as this decade of centenaries nears its end. Declan McCauley is the Executive Librarian with Kilkenny County Council and I caught up with him at the County Council headquarters recently where he explained to me just some of the work going on at the moment behind the scenes. Our brief here is to promote and collect, you know, anything pertinent to Kilkenny's history and culture here over the years. So when Decade came, it was a great opportunity to um, highlight an area that might be that very well known in Kilkenny in particular, because I remember when I was in school doing history uh, of that period, Kilkenny was never mentioned, actually. Mm-hmm. It was all Cork and Dublin and Kerry and things, you know. So we said it might be an opportunity here to find out what went on in Kilkenny and to promote to the public, basically, because I think the public generally wouldn't have had a huge amount of knowledge of it actually so that's we took the opportunity and we're several years into it at this stage now we started back in 1914 with the war the first world war and things and now we're into the civil war period you know so we're actually coming towards the end now by next year we'll be at the end basically 
the story that would come to light to me every every time we talk about 1922 with the burning of Woodstock House actually and I would particularly have known that because the council you know were involved in the restoration of the gardens there but when you come in there you see this sort of very stark looking ruin there you know and I used to hear years ago it was burnt as well but I really didn't know much story about it actually and then I realised I mean there was loads of other houses around Ireland I think Kenny were burnt and they all have different stories there's sort of this very stereotype story you know of these sort of uh, anti-treaty IRA lads coming up as like a western you know, with loads of torches outside and it wasn't actually like that at all. Each house had its own story because it depended on the family that were there and like down Bestborough down in Piltown it was actually the pro-treaty people who were responsible for burning it actually so they all have their own stories I think I think one thing the decade has been quite good as getting rid of a lot of these stereotypes we would have been taught in school you know very simplistic views of history it's very complex actually and very nuanced actually you know and at the same time the brief of the government has always been to be quite you no know, respectful of all the different traditions but I think in a way it makes it, it makes it enriches how you tell the story because there was another side to those stories that was you know, that wasn't told years ago you know what I mean I remember we were promoting you know, the cool barn ambush out in Castle Comer you know and it was a local person basically in the old days sold out the things but I mean she had her own story I choose from the unionist tradition out there and I mean when I was in school they were never mentioned actually you know so it was all sort of very green and it has changed now actually and the, the third thing I would say, one thing that were totally invisible when we were in school was the role of women. Because I mean, women were never mentioned, actually. I mean, women were very involved in the War of Independence at all levels and things. And actually, it was probably one of the last areas in the Civil War and things, actually, because, I mean, after independence in Ireland, things did change, actually. And in many ways, tragically, women were put back in their boxes for years. But they certainly weren't in their boxes during the War of Independence and the Civil War. And they come across as very vibrant people, actually, you know, and with very strong opinions often. And a whole, a whole plethora of, of different opinions from, you know, very much pro-treaty and very traditional to a lot of the women who were on the anti-treaty side, often who had stories because they had lost partners or sons and things in the war and they probably felt the treaty wasn't enough compensation for them, basically. And for people that are listening to this programme who have shown interest or expressed interest in, I suppose, learning more about 1922 and about the events in Kilkenny, some of which we're going to cover, obviously, in the programme. How can, in your remit as the executive librarian, what would you encourage people to do if they were trying to research a little bit more about these events? Well, first of all, we we have a whole, uh, we have several, we have several years of podcasts now on our website that people can go into, which are snippets of various events that happened in Kilkenny and that people can go in and listen to get a flavour of what was going on there. We also, we've done, we produced two brochures there last year on on the decade. Uh, We're we're organising lectures. Now, COVID did hit our programme because we would have been hoping to have what we call in-house events, you know, where people come into the library and there might be a speaker there and you get the question and answer and all afterwards, which was always great. So I mean, we had to be adaptable, so we, we started doing podcasts and things instead. The podcast's a good place to start. There's a, there's a load of, I mean, there's been loads of books either being published or republished over the whole decade period, and the library stocked those. And you can also access Truckley Kenny County Library. You can also access, if you're a member, the stock of all the other libraries around Ireland we can get delivered to, to your local branch we also have the local newspapers here on microfilm that people can come in and they can actually read what was going on in the papers at the time which if you don't want something to still know through a writer in a book as primary source 
material, you know, which is quite useful as well. And then everybody has their own, some people have their own family histories, they're doing genealogy and things, they can go back to that period. Perhaps, I guess, Damien will be telling us in a couple of minutes, they may have someone who's involved in the Great War or something, you know. So there's a whole load of strands there that we can help them with, basically, depending how involved they want to be, basically. And a big thank you to Declan McCauley, Executive Librarian of Kilkenny County Council, for speaking to us on the History Show this week. Now, many of us in Kilkenny may have an interest in exploring our ancestors' roots to try and find out what role, if any, our family members played during a pivotal time in our history. Damien Brett is a Senior Library Assistant with Kilkenny County Libraries, and he's done just that. I spoke to Damien earlier this week, and he gave me advice on how to research my own family's roots and how he fared in researching his. Um, my name is Damien Brett and I'm a Senior Library Assistant at Kilkenny County Libraries. I worked in local studies for a number of years. I'm still involved with queries and projects that happen in local studies as well, even though I'm now based in uh, Lockboy Library. I had always had an impetus to do some research on my family, but I'd never really known where to go about it until I came to work here. And I came to work with Mr. McCauley and it was really the, the, the kick, kick off point to go and start my own family tree. Um, because I was I started to work in the area and I started to find out how the sources worked at the time. Now that's 20 years ago, so a lot of things weren't online at the time. So you had to have information, like you had to know a townsland or a street name to find your family on the census, which was still all on microfilm at the time and things like that. But I learned, I suppose, some of it would be classes slightly old fashioned now, but I, I learned that way. And I learned to um, help um, people with their queries. I mean, the first thing I learned was, was to put it in a nice way, annoy your family with as many questions about your family history as possible. And that includes, you know, parents, aunts, uncles, distant relatives, find out as much information as you can. And even if it's just someone can, some people get very, um, nervy about passing on information because they don't remember dates and things exactly. It's not, you just need a flavour. Sometimes just a, a place name, a county, etc. starts you off. And with genealogy, you're always going with the, from the de definitive, the definite, which is you. I'm here, I exist. From the known to the unknown. So you're always, it's, it's the inverted pyramid. You're at the bottom of the pyramid and it spreads out as you go. So as you go from the, from from the definitive, as in my granny and granddad were married in St. John's Parish, or they were married in Pilltown, or they were married in Cork or Dublin, or wherever they may be married, you can use the records to move backwards. You're always going from the definite. So you're using things like census records, uh, births, deaths and marriage records, church records. And then unfortunately, because of lack of census records before 1901, you're then using census substitutes, you're using land records, newspapers, register of electors, um, and you're going back using sources like that. So uh, I've been helping people and, and do my own research for that for the last, for the last 20 years, both here in the library and anyone that knows me who has a question has often asked me, how do I do this or that and that eventually led me on to the fact that my um, I had known from my grandfather that my great-grandfather and my great-granduncle had been in the First World War but um, I mean as a, as, a, as a kid I even discovering that my ancestors were in the British Army was strange because the only army I knew 
was at the military barracks here in Ballybrook Street. That was what I thought was the army. And I remember saying to my grandfather, your, your, your father was in the British Army. He went, of course he was, boy. What other army was there? And, you know, as a kid, you learn that and you move on. Um, eventually in the house, I found his medals in a bag. And I found the benefits of the fact that I could get his, his name, his rank and his serial number. And his serial number or regimental number is key for researching for researching anyone's military records and archives. And if you have that and you have the regiment, you can, you can go a long way. So I got a book that we had here in local studies. I got um, a, a record that we got, which was um, a record of all the Irish men who had, and women who had passed away in the Great War, the Irish War Memorials. And I used that and, I, and uh, a website on the Commonwealth War Graves and actually started tracing my great-grandfather, Michael Powerforst. And he had served in, in France, and he went on to serve in Greece and in Egypt. And um, unfortunately, he'd, he'd caught malaria, and eventually after the war, malaria came back, a second bout of malaria came back, and he, he died in 1920 after surviving the, the war. And um, whereas my, my great-granduncle was more difficult, Patrick Hayes was um, from Greens Hill in Kilkenny, and um, he had died early on in the war and he wasn't discussed really my grandfather said my uh, told me my uncle died in the war i don't know much about him he just had been i wouldn't say forgotten about it was it was a kind of he just wasn't spoken i suppose the attitudes in ireland about first world war soldiers it was very uncomfortable whereas my grandfather spoke about his father easily and comfortably his uncle, who we didn't, who we'd never known, had died before he, just before he was born, and was just this mystery figure. Because of the research facilities here, and because of the tips and the guidance I was given, it's it, it's pushed me on. And thankfully, I've been able to pass that on to other people when they come in with their questions and queries, whether it's about a relative in, in, um, in, that was married in Port Leash or someone who was involved in a, you know, with an, with an illegal organisation in the early 19th century, we've had, we get, we get queries on everything and anything. In terms of 1922 and the yes. Irish Civil War, I believe you had one... Uh... Yes, I had, I had, a, I had an, an ancestor, William Brett, who was out from, um, or Billy, out from Outrath, and he had, he had been involved in the, um, in the, in the War of Independence uh, Will, Billy passed away in the late 1970s um, and I had always been interested that had been the family the Brett family home place for almost 200 years farming by modern standards not a large area about 50 acres or so and I had always been interested in what ha what had happened to the last Bretts and this led me to Billy Brett and I found out them talking from the current owner out, out in Outrath that um, he had he had served he had a medal from the uh, War of Independence, he showed me. He said, I know, he said, I remember seeing it. And he had, um, I went off then to do some research on him using the, um, the Irish military archives, using their website. And um, his, his um, file, as I discovered, was, was closed because um, it, no one was sure whether he had any next of kin alive so I was able to prove unfortunately he, he, he hadn't married and he hadn't um, his siblings um, hadn't had large families so his family that branch of the family unfortunately has uh, closed so um, I went off and did research on, on, on him and found he, his, his greatest I suppose 
the greatest aspect of him in the Irish, uh, the Irish uh, Civil War seems to be applying for the pension afterwards, which seemed to be a process that went on for about 25 years. I'd love to find out more. So if anyone does know anything more about any of that, I'd, I'd always be interested to learn more. Indeed, and they can contact us at KCLR and uh, we'd be happy to put them in touch. And just finally, because it's been fascinating to listen to, um, you know, your family's involvement, but indeed into the lengths that you've gone to and the, the sheer effort that you've gone to to uh, conduct this research. And I suppose you're in the kind of privileged position in that you do work as part of the library yes, as you were leading. it does help. Yeah, and as, as you've alluded to. If there's somebody out there, though, that would like to find out more about their own family's past or indeed their involvement in the Civil War or World War One or whatever it might have been what advice would you offer my, my advice now I, I, I don't want to be repetitive but I would still say you start with the family members that you have because nothing beats your own family's information there are plenty of family members who will say to you I don't really know anything and you'll get this gem of information and um, the first thing I would do was I'd get a blank sheet of paper write down put your name down and write down what you know about your whether your grandfather was uh, you know, from from Kerry and your mother and your grandmother, one of your grandmothers was from Cork. Put that down. Where do you know when or where? Put down as much as you possibly know or you've heard of. And then you can go, okay, this is what I know. Who can I speak to in my family next? And a big thank you to Damien Brett from Kilkenny County Libraries for speaking to me for this evening's programme. That's just about it for this evening's episode of The History Show. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you'll join me again at the same time next week when we will be looking back at the burning of Woodstock House, a seminal moment in our local heritage. As always, feel free to contact me at any time on our email address, historyshow at kclr96fm.com. Lots of stuff happening here at KCLR, incidentally, at the moment. John Keane's short new feature on the show is called Keane on Irish. John will be joined by Shannon Redmond each and every day to learn a different phrase in Irish each day. And I've heard some of those and they're absolutely fantastic. I'm I'm learning myself, so I am. Uh, Lots of new local Irish music as well. Uh, This week's group is Jake from Carlo and their new track uh, is called Sail a V. They're a pop rock group consisting of Jack Doyle and Sean Hennessy from County Carlow and the song will be aired daily on the John Keane show, Fully Loaded and Kiola Nooked. And uh, that's KCLR continuing its support of, of local music there. And uh, in KCLR Sport, lots happening too. We've got a rescheduled fixture for next Saturday, that's September 3rd. The St. Canice's Credit Union Kilkenny Senior Hurling League Round 5, that's Dixborough versus James Stevens, And that's taking place at 3 o'clock at UPMC Nolan Park. So live coverage of that rescheduled game next Saturday here, the fifth, uh, the 3rd of September on KCLR from 3 o'clock with Shane and Robbie on Scoreline. But until next week, it's a very good evening from me, John Moynihan. Thanks for inviting me into your homes. Stay tuned for Fully Loaded with Owen Carey and we'll play you out with a selection by the Celtic tenors of Percy French, French music, one of the most popular artists of the time. Good night and God bless.
you heard the fill the flute from the town of Ballymuck. The times were going hard for him, in fact, the man was broke, so he sent an invitation to his neighbours, one and all, as to how he'd like the company that evening at the ball. And when writing out, he was careful to suggest to them that if they found a hat of his convenient to the door, the more they put in, whenever he requested it, the better would the music be for button on the floor. But with the tooth on the flute and the twiddle on the fiddle, hopping in the mist like a hen on the grill, up down hands around across into the wall Oh, hadn't we the gaiety and filled up Luther's ball Then little Mickey Mulligan got up to show them how And then the with a cafferty steps out and makes her bow I could dance you up your legs to see you sure as you were born If you'll only make the pipe and play the hair is on the corn So Phil plays up to the best of his ability The ladies and the gentlemen begin to do their share Phil and Mickey Tis you the Scots agility, we call the Mrs. Cafferty a little like a hair. Oh, it's a tooth on the tooth and the twiddle on the fiddle, hopping in the middle like a hen on the grill. Up, down, hands around, across into the wall. Oh, hands me the gaiety at Stop when halfway to Good Hill. Tis there you will find it, I know sure enough, where fortune has come to my goal. The grass, it is greenest from Ballyginnum, and the blue sky is over it all. And tones that are tender, and tones that are gruff, come whispering. The day that I first saw the light I looked down the street on that very first morn And gave a great crow of delight Now most newborn babies appear in a huff And stabbed with a sorrowful squall But I knew I was born in Valley James Dunn And that's why I smiled at them all the baby's a man now, he's toil torn and rough, still whispers come over the sea. Come back, Valley, Valley, to Valley, James, come home. 
across the Atlantical Sea. Well, he never tried to go railing from Minnes as far as Kilkee. You run for the train in the morning, the excursion train's starting at eight. You're there when the clock sounds the warning, but there for an hour you'll wait. And while you're waiting in the train, you'll hear the guards sing this refrain. Are you right there, Michael? Are you right? Do you think that we'll be home before the night? been hiding and it drags you to squeeze for a pin says the car backer down on the siding there's a goods from Kilrush coming in perhaps it comes in two hours perhaps it breaks down on the way if it does says the god be the powers we're here for the rest of the day and while you sit and curse your luck The train backs down into a truck. 